0: Are you all ready to dive into the Word today? Open your Bibles to John the 6th chapter, the 15th verse. If you're watching online right now, I want you to grab your Bibles. I want you to get ready to receive from God. I believe I have a word for you today. As I was praying yesterday and getting ready for this morning, I really feel strongly that God wants to do something in our lives today. So I want you to get still, get quiet, don't be moving around, don't be playing on your iPad, don't be getting extra coffee or making breakfast. I want you to sit and get still and get ready to receive the word that God has for you today. I want you to ask you to pray for me this week. I leave tomorrow, uh, fly to Dallas. Tomorrow evening we'll be recording a Father's Day program on TBN, the national program. I'll be on there with several of the leading voices in the nation, including... Uh, assuming that he shows up and if he hadn't heard that I'm coming yet so he, he's probably still going to show up. Uh, but the main actor who you just saw on that video from The Courageous is supposed to be on with us uh, tomorrow night and it'll be airing Tuesday night so tune in and watch. I won't be watching. I can't handle watching myself on TV but hopefully you will And uh, but be praying for us tomorrow night from 6 to 9 is when the show airs and I really believe I have a word from God uh, to speak tomorrow and so uh, I hope that you'll pray for us and and tomorrow, my father and I will be flying up. Is that good? All right, <clears throat> let me turn to John chapter 6 now that I already asked you to. If you have it ready and you are ready to read the word today, would you stand with me? If you're there, say amen. amen. <clears throat> Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. He departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea towards Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose, because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, "'It is I, do not be afraid.'" Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Place your hand on your word today, and let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence that's in this room today, for the things that you've already done, for the healing that has already taken place in this house and in those watching online right now. Lord, if we were to stop right now, we would have more than enough to be grateful for, but Lord, right now, I'm asking you to open our heart, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. Father, let my words not be mere words of man's wisdom, but lace them with the power of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of your son, Jesus. Move in this house today. In your name we pray. And the people said? Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you today as we conclude our series entitled Sunday School Stories. I want to talk to you today about this story when Jesus walks on the water and when he calms the storm. Yea, one more time for the disciples. Very important story and we're going to learn several things. We're going to talk about the problems of the story. We're going to talk about the choices of the story and we're going to talk about the miracles of the story. You see, choices can change circumstances. Decisions can determine destinies. Choices can either cause chaos or they can launch you into your future. Choices make a huge difference in our life. Some decisions are very important. Others don't matter. My grandpa says, son, there are some things in life you don't need to pray about. Going to church is not one of them. He never woke up and said prayed about, should I go to church today or not? No, no, no. Just go to church. You don't need to pray about that. The Lord's answer is probably going to be yes, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time. Some things do matter. It's, it's judgment on the difficult and important decisions that determine how far we go in life. Good leaders often are, have good judgment When you you can look at their lives and you see a pattern of good decisions. When you see people who have moved forward in their life, it's because they have a pattern of making good decisions. I want that to be said in my life, that Randon made good decisions. That when he was leading his his own life, when he was leading his family, when he was leading the church, he led with a pattern of good decisions. Do I get everyone right? No. And neither will you. But I want to get as many decisions right as I can. Because they're that important. I often find it interesting that we'll spend 20 minutes deciding what to have for dinner... ...but never spend 10 minutes praying for what career God wants us to choose. I find it interesting that we'll spend 45 minutes getting ready for a first date... ...but never spend 5 minutes asking God if He even wants us to go on the date. So we're going to talk about problems, choices, and miracles. The first problem that we see in this story... Is the problem of the people wanting to make Jesus king? Now, when, I, when you first read it, you think, why is this a problem that he wants to be, they want to make him king? Isn't he the king of kings anyway? So, why is it a problem? Seriously, Jesus, there are thousands of people shouting your name, clapping and praising and saying, let's make this guy king. And you don't, you, you see that as a problem. Yes, it's a problem because Jesus wouldn't be made king that way. Jesus knew that what they were really wanting was to set up a political kingdom. He he came so that and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but the kingdom of heaven wouldn't be one that was set up by people cheering his name and shouting his name, but rather it was one set up with people jeering and shouting and plucking his beard from from his face. It was the wrong way. And Jesus, knowing this, knew that the people wanting to make him king was the wrong thing. What they really wanted, because if you uh, have read John chapter 6, you know that, just prior to this, he's just fed 5,000 men plus uh, women and children. Somewhere between twelve and 20,000 people, depending on who you read. We don't exactly know. Thousands and thousands of people he fed with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And when they wanted to make him king, what they were saying was, we want to go back to the way Moses did it where he provided manna in the, in the desert where we didn't have to do anything. We just, we just existed and God provided for us. But that's not the way of the kingdom. And the way of the kingdom, we have jobs, we have uh, uh, responsibilities, we have things to do. We've got to work at this thing. We're not just out there letting God provide for us, but we're doing something for him with our lives. And Jesus said, we're not going back there to where Moses was. You totally misunderstood the sign. So this is a problem. I don't want you to make me king. It seemed like this would be great for Jesus, but he knew that it wouldn't be. Have you ever felt like everything was going right, but God was telling you to do something else? Just when things were looking up, God said, move and shift. That's one of the hardest times to move. When, every, when people are shouting, when there's a party going on in your honor, and God says, move. And you're sitting there going, What? Are you looking around Jesus? Everything is perfect. And Jesus, knowing what is going on around you, says, Move. The second problem was the storm. He sends the disciples out and they're rowing and they're working. And once again, they find themselves in the midst of the storm. They had been here before. The difference is, on the first time they got out into a storm, Jesus was on the boat with them. He was sleeping, and they woke him up, and he calmed the storm. But in this storm, Jesus wasn't there to calm it. And so now they found themselves in yet another storm while trying to do the will of God. Why is it that the devil can't let us alone to do what God has called us to do? But every time we get busy doing what he says, a storm rises. Why can't he just let me alone and do what I'm supposed to do? Why can't he just let me be? Because he doesn't like you. And he doesn't want you to do what God called you to do. So he sends storms. Third problem it wasn't just the storm, but in Mark chapter 6 verse 48, it says that Jesus saw them straining at the rowing for the wind Was against them. They were straining. They were working. They were laboring in futility. The third problem that they faced was a problem of futility. They had been working for hours. They should have long since rode rode all the way across this lake. They had done it hundreds and hundreds of times in their life. Remember, many of these disciples were professional fishermen. They knew the leg. They knew how to get across it. And yet they rode for hours. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, they're only halfway across. And they're laboring against and getting nowhere. Their efforts seemed futile against the winds and the waves. Have you ever felt like you were giving it everything you had but were getting nowhere? It's where the disciples were. I'm pushing as hard as I can. I'm doing my best to do what God tells me to do. I'm doing my best to fight. I'm doing my best to give it all and to pray and study and work and live right and do right and go to work and get up and raise kids and raise a family and have a good marriage. And yet, it seems like I'm getting nowhere. The problem of futility. Well, let's look at a couple of the choices that they made. The first choice we see in Mark chapter 6, which is the same story, but Mark's version, verse 45 Notice what he says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. I want you to note here the timing, immediately. They didn't wait around, they didn't wait till the next morning, they didn't stop and say, Jesus, you know there's a storm brewing, we really should wait. No, 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 they got in the boat and began to row. Because every good decision has a lifespan on it. You can make the right decision at the wrong time, and it still be the wrong decision. Yeah. Every decision in your life, every good decision has a time span on it. You have to do it in the right time. This week, we, we, uh, we almost made a bad mistake. I was in San Antonio this week, and uh, me and Lindsay, and, my, uh, and Kara and Ryan were driving down the highway on, on I-10, and we had just left, we, we went to see a movie at the big IMAX, it was really, uh, really, really awesome, and so we're driving along, and on the way in, we had seen a Krispy Kreme donut. How many of you ever had hot and fresh Krispy Kreme donuts? Thank you, Jesus, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. The light was on, Pastor Sandy. And so we're looking for this thing, and it's like, okay, we've got to, fi- we've got to go to Krispy Kreme donuts, right? And and all of a sudden, we don't really know where we are. We know kind of where we're going, but we don't know where the place is. And all of a sudden, we see it, and, and Ryan says, there it is. And in my mind, I'm thinking, take the exit. Because it's the right time to take the exit. There's the, there it is. Thankfully, Ryan didn't, because if he had taken the exit, right exit, but at the wrong time, we were a little late. And we would have not come face-to-face with a Krispy Kreme donut. We would have come face-to-face with a concrete wall. Wow. Because we had missed the exit. We missed the time. So what did we have to do? We had to wait for the next exit. We had to wait for the next opportunity to go around and come back so we could make a U-turn. Now, thankfully, the hot and fresh shine was still on. <laughs> yes, they were good. Yes, I did go back while I was in San Antonio. But life is much the same way. Every, de- every good decision has a, has a window, just like that exit driving down the highway. And if you miss it, you have to wait for another opportunity. Don't miss your opportunity. Take to make the decision. Make the choice when it's time to make the choice. And watch how God will deliver you to the Krispy Kremes. <laughs> you know, I, I noticed something here. They chose to obey Jesus even when he didn't seem to be with them. He put them on the boat and sent them out there. And even though he's not with them, they're rowing. They're doing it. They're doing everything they can to follow Jesus. Have you ever felt like you're doing your best to follow the will of God, but he's nowhere around? Yeah. But don't, don't, don't be upset by that because Jesus was on the side of the mountain praying and watching. And at the right time, he came walking on the sea. Just because he isn't right there with you doesn't mean he's not totally involved in what's going on in your life. Second decision they made. They made the decision to row even though it didn't make sense and it wasn't working. Now, if it were me, in my flesh, I'm on the side of the beach... People are screaming, chanting, make him king. It's going great. He's just fed thousands. It's a wonderful day. There's a party going on. People are literally coming out of the woodworks to hear Jesus. And Jesus says, get on a boat and go across the other side. So I'm going to try to follow Jesus. So I go out there and I start following Jesus. But then I'm rowing and I'm going nowhere. And I'm stuck in that futility that we talked about. the, The frustration of going nowhere while trying to do the will of God. Now, rowing, for those of you who haven't tried it, is hard work. I don't know if you've ever rode before it's hard work and then you put yourself in the middle of a storm now remember this wasn't just a storm this this sea is known for violent storms jumping up the way the winds come down through the mountains it causes violent storms and winds to have huge waves now these guys are working and toiling and laboring and in my flesh if it were me I would have been thinking Jesus why in the world did you send us out here and you may not have thought that because I know everybody in here is, is really godly and loves Jesus and never has bad thoughts like that and is fully trusting in God every time he says, go, you go. But for me, I was just, I, I'm just in putting myself in their situation and in times that I've been in my life, I'm going, why, God, did you send me out here? But they made the decision to go anyway based off of the only information that they had. See, information is key to the decisions that you make in your life. If you don't have enough information, you you may end up making the wrong decision. Not because you don't want to make the right decision, but just because you don't have the right information. It's key. Let's look at the information that they have. Things are going great. Jesus did one of his greatest miracles to date. People are following by him by the thousands, staying out all day with no food just to hear him. Jesus perceived that they wanted to make him king. But then the most important piece of information they had was that Jesus said go. And so they went. They they, they got all the information, and they made a judgment. Based off the information we have, we're going to go. So here we are, rowing against the wind and the waves, getting nowhere, but Jesus said go. We live in the age of information. In most decisions you make in your life, there is no excuse for not having enough information. Google. Google. G-O-O-G-L-E. Your phone probably has it on there. If it doesn't have Google, it's probably got Bing or something like that. We live with so much information at our fingertips, there's no reason for us to go through life blindly and claiming ignorance. Not only do you have the internet, but you have the Word of God. There's no excuse in your life for claiming ignorance. It is not Chevrolet's fault that you bought their truck and it broke down. I have told you time and time again to buy a Ford. If you wouldn't listen, it is not my fault, Brother Buster. It's it's not. So then the question becomes... After we've got all the information that we can in and we've done everything we can, what do we do when we still don't have enough information? Well, all we can do then is trust God and follow peace. The Bible says that peace surpasses all understanding. So when you don't understand, ask God for peace. And when you find his peace, he is the prince of peace. He'll be right in the middle of it and he'll get you back on track. When you, don't, when you just can't take it all in and you don't know, follow peace. But I'm a firm believer that there there has to be when we're making decisions a balance between timing and information. This is one of the best and worst things about being married to my wife. She is a timing girl. I am an information guy. I am a researcher. I want to know. I want to study. I want to find out. I want to learn about it. I want to know that I'm getting the best deal. If I'm not getting a good deal I at least want to know. I'm not getting a good deal. If I'm overpaying and I value it that much, I at least want to know that I'm valuing it that much. I am an information guy. My wife doesn't need information. She makes decisions just like this. She just makes them. I mean, she'll make five decisions and I'm still deciding on the first thing. I haven't even decided if I want to make a decision and she's already made five. She he is a get-her-done kind of girl. Her dad is the same way. They make decisions first and think about it later. And it's not a problem if they get it wrong because they'll change it just like that. It's no problem for them. <laughs> now, for me, as an information guy, I want to study this thing out. And I would what are you doing? Sit down. we got to talk about this. She's like, we don't need to talk about this. Let's just go. <clears throat> And I'm studying, and I'm working on it. And and when when we go on vacation or spend time with her family, it's it's I just have to just go. I just have to ride the rapids because, (laughs) for me as an information guy, now they get lots of stuff done, man. They are they are get it done people, make it happen people. But I'm a slow mover. When our marriage is functioning at its premium, these things are not at odds. They're in balance. And so I don't say, God, why did you give me a wife that's always wanting to make quick decisions? No, 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 I say thank you, Father, for a God, for a wife that keeps me in timing and doesn't let me get so down deep into the information that I miss the timing. And every now and then she's thankful for me, for a husband who will keep her from making the wrong decision because I've got enough information. And we work in harmony together. And I think that's one of the greatest things why God put us together. Because timing and information functioning together in balance often lead you to good decisions. You gotta you gotta balance these things or, or it could cause problems. My dad told me, son, you're gonna wake up one day and you're gonna decide you've got to get married. And he told me, you need to have uh, some good girls around you because when you wake up and decide you're going to get married, you might marry the first thing that comes along. And that might not be a good decision. (laughs) He did. He told me that. Ladies, we wake up and we marry the, the first bozo that we can snag and get to the altar. You ever been to a wedding and the girl's all smiling and they turn around the guy's like, I don't know what just happened? I don't know. He's all confused and he's looking around like, "Who just got married? it's <laughs> oh, a ring on my finger?" You know, and and you 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 married the first bozo you could find, and and then you wake up one day and you realize that bozo was really bozo the clown, and the problem with that is. At the you know, you get through the wedding, you get through the honeymoon, and a few years later you wake up and you remember that at the wedding the pastor stood up there and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, I want to present to you for the very first time Mr. and Mrs. Bozo the clown. So now the two have become one and you are a clown too. It's a problem. It's a problem. You're now a clown. So what do you do when you realize I married a clown and now I'm a clown and I don't know how to get out of it because everybody's a clown. I thought the red nose was going to be Rudolph and I was going to be Santa Claus. No, no, no. He's just a clown with a big red nose. What do I do? Here's the good news about Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Doesn't say that God calls you to marry that clown. But what it does mean for you and I is God can take that. And if you turn it over to him and you say, God, help me, help my husband, help, help us, work with us, work with the mess that we created to get us out of here so that you can, we can get on track according to your good and according to your purpose. It's not too late for us. It's a very important scripture for every person in this room who has made bad decisions that seem to stick with us. God didn't cause my mess, but he can sure help me out of it. And I'm glad he can. third choice they made in verse 21 of John. Then they willingly received him into the boat. They willingly received Jesus. Not all of us willingly receive Jesus. And Jesus very rarely forces himself on you. One of the gospels says he, when Jesus was coming toward them, he would have Passed them by, except they called to him. They willingly said, Jesus, come on into my situation. He said, well, pass around." and they were toiling, and they were laboring, and they were struggling in futility and frustration. Why wouldn't they want Jesus? Well, the truth is that in life, frustration and toil, futility, and complaining, it can get addicting. And then we get to blaming everybody and blaming Jesus. And we don't want Jesus involved because he's the reason we were here in the first place. So I'm not going to willingly receive him. By God, I can do this on my own. I am a fisherman. I know how to row. I got this far. I can make it that far on my own. I don't need you, Jesus. And Jesus is just walking on by. Will you willingly receive him? From their perspective, it could have been not. Thank you very much. From their perspective, it could have been argued that Jesus made the wrong decision sending them in the storm. But you have to understand a couple of things that Jesus knew. Jesus had already shown them and taught them not to fear the storm but have power over it. Remember the first storm they were in, they woke Jesus up and he rebuked them for their lack of faith. And then he said, peace be still, and the storm was calm. He had already showed them how to overcome this test. He already knew they could do it. When he sent them into the storm, sure he knew a storm was coming, but he knew they had the capacity within them to overcome the storm. Yes, they were going to have to struggle a little bit. Yes, there was going to be some straining a little bit. No, it wasn't going to be easy. But he knew that they could just do what he said, follow out. He would show up at just the right time and take them through. Notice, they're not not scared of the storm. When you read in verse uh, 19, So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. Were they afraid of the storm? They were afraid of Jesus. They thought He was a ghost. Isn't that a paradox? The storm didn't scare them. Deliverance did. The second thing we see from Jesus' perspective is not only did he know that they could handle the storm, but he knew that the crowd might be a problem for them. What do you mean, Pastor Rand? And they're wanting to make him king. That's exactly the point. The disciples were always jockeying for position. The disciples were always talking about who was the greatest and who was the least and who was gonna be this and who was gonna be that. The disciples, you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about it when Jesus was resurrected and he came back and he's restoring Peter. And he tells Peter, hey, listen, right when you were a kid, you were an adult, you were walked around and led around wherever you wanted to go. But at the end of your life, you're gonna be led around in places you don't wanna go. And he was talking about him being crucified one day he eventually was crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified like his savior and you remember Peter the first thing he does is look to John and say well what about him because there was always stuff going on between the disciples they loved Jesus it wasn't that but they were always pushing and pulling for position now you have to put yourself in the mindset of Jesus knowing this was a struggle for them he sees the people wanting to make him king. They're his closest people around him, which means that they're jockeying for position in this political kingdom. Who's going to be the vice president? Who's going to be the, the, the secretary of state? Who's going to be the, the general? Who's going to be this? Who's going to be that? And they were forever arguing about this, and Jesus knew the storm you can handle. I'm not sure you're ready for the crowd. Good. Good. I'm not sure. You're quite ready. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, reading from the New Living. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. But when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. Anywhere in this does He promise that the, the way out will be easy. No. In fact, the word that He uses here is Endure. You still may have to go through some things, but he's going to give you a way out that you're strong enough to make it through. It's exactly what Jesus did in this story. He said, I don't know about the crowd, but what I do know is you've already, I've already showed you how to go through the storm. You have within you what it takes to get through. So go out there, and I'll be there in a minute. I'll be there in a few hours, and we'll get through this storm together. But that you can handle, the crowd, maybe not. We get upset with Jesus, Why did you send me out here in a storm? But maybe Jesus is looking at what he saved us from. Maybe we should stop being frustrated with Jesus and and angry at God and start thanking him for all the things that we don't know he even rescued us from. Maybe we should change our perspective. It takes trust in God when he tells you to leave what appears to be a great situation and send you into a storm, but he knows what he's doing. Don't grow bitter and angry, giving up on God and turning away from him, but trust in him. Jesus chose the storm of the crowd. In my toil, what is Jesus saving me from? Well, let's look at a couple of the miracles and we'll close this morning. The first miracle that Jesus did was he calmed the storm. He went into the boat and the wind ceased. When he went up into the boat to them, the wind ceased. You've got to know that Jesus has the power to calm storms in your life. You've got to know that you need Jesus involved in what you do. You've got to get Jesus in the boat with you. Sometimes it's not enough just to go to church, but you really need to get Jesus involved. Because we can go to church and leave Jesus there and go live our life. But are you willing to let Jesus into your situation, into your life, into your home, into your car, into your job, into your finances? Are you willing to let him in? Because if you are, well, the moment he gets in, he can cause the winds to stop. I want to speak over you today, if you're in the midst of a storm, a word of peace. I want to speak over you that Jesus is showing up today. He wants to get involved. And if you'll let him in, if you'll if you'll let him get in and willingly receive him Peace, peace to every storm, peace. The second miracle that Jesus did was he rescued them from their futility. They had worked all night long. They had made it halfway across. This sea, from the way they were crossing is about seven to eight miles across. They had made made it three to four miles. They were right in the middle. They had been working and working and working. But about 3 a.m., the fourth watch, Jesus showed up. And I want you to note in verse 21 then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus when he gets involved, all your toil will be washed away, and he'll get you right to where you're supposed to go in a moment. He can speed up time. You thought it was lost. You thought you wasted your whole night. You thought you wasted your last 10 years. You thought you wasted all this time. And he said, No, 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 no. I'm going to catch you up today. Immediately. Immediately. You need to know this. You've been working and straining, but getting nowhere. It doesn't mean that you're out of the will of God. It might. But in this story, it didn't mean that they had done anything wrong. They weren't sinning. They weren't running from God. You you remember, Jonah ran from God and ended up in the belly of a whale. These men were not running from Jesus. They were doing exactly what he told them to do. And yet still, they were struggling and straining. But Jesus said it like this, Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. He didn't say it was easy. He said it was difficult. At some point, you're going to have to work a little bit. At some point, you're going to have to strain a little bit. At some point, it ain't going to be easy. At some point, you're going to maybe look up and say, Lord, where are you? He's right there. He's watching over you, praying for you. And at just the right time, he's going to show up. Jesus saw them struggling, but he still waited. He, He saw them struggling, but he waited until just the right moment. Jesus is serious about timing. And he wants to show up for you at just the right time. Not too early, not too late, but at just the right time. I believe that today, for many people in this room that have been struggling and pushing and working and laboring, it's shifting over to the fourth watch. And Jesus is about to come walking by. As we close today... I want to ask you just a couple of questions. And then I'm going to open these altars and I want to pray with you. I want to ask you four questions. And if any of these four questions are touching your heart, in a moment I'm going to ask you all to stand. And if any of them are you, I want you to come and let us pray with you. Because I believe God wants to show up for you today. Are you struggling with a decision? Struggling with which way to go? To the left? To the right? And you need help from God today. You've done all you know to do. You've tried to research, you've tried to study, you've tried to learn, but you need some help. I believe that God wants to speak to you today. I believe he wants to give you a word. I believe that he wants to give you a peace. I believe that he wants to show you a clear direction. In a few moments, if you need help with the decision in your life, come and let us pray with you. The second question that I have for you is, have you made bad decisions and gotten off track? You, just, you were trying, but somewhere along the way, one bad decision led to another, and you got off track. You need to get back on track. The good thing about Jesus is he's always got a plan to get you back on track. It doesn't matter where you are, he'll get you back on track. Today is a day where you can get back on track what God has for your life. Maybe some of you today need to give your heart to Him. You used to live for Him. You used to know Him. But life has pulled you away. Today is the day to get back on track. A series of good decisions in your life, a series of God decisions, will put you in a better place in a short time. Come today and let us pray with you. The third question is, are you in a storm? Are the seas raging around you? Is the wind blowing? Does it seem like you don't have anywhere to go? And and, and it's just the storm is overwhelming you. Today, God wants to touch you. And if you'll let him get in the boat with you, peace will come to that storm. And the final question is just simply, if you've been struggling and straining while doing your best to follow the voice of God, to do his will, I want you to know that Jesus is here today and he wants to step in. And get you to where you're supposed to be immediately. If any of those four things are you. If God is speaking to you today. In a moment I'm going to ask everyone to stand. Our pastors and elders are going to come. We want to pray with you. Why don't we come to the altar? Because first of all. I believe that the altar is the place where God does business. He can do it anywhere. But time and time again throughout history. We see where God does business at his altar. So this is a place where God does business. Why don't we ask that you join hands with someone? Well, there's a power in joining my faith with yours. The synergy of those things together moves heaven. And sometimes we get in a place where we've toiled and we've struggled for so long, we just don't have anything left to fight with. It's not that you don't believe, it's just there's nothing left to believe with. You're just out of energy, out of faith. Let us lend you some faith and pray with you.